0: Welcome to the House of Surgery, a podcast brought to you by the American College of Surgeons. In this series, you'll hear from and about surgeons in all specialties, in all practice configurations, and in all locations. Their success stories, advice, challenges they've overcome, and words of inspiration as they serve their patients with quality, integrity, and professionalism, and strive to heal all with skill and trust. This episode features Dr. Gordon Telford, a general surgeon from Oconomowoc, Wisconsin, who gave the Martin Memorial Lecture at Clinical Congress 2023. Dr. Telford examines the life of ACS founder, Dr. Franklin Martin, for whom the lecture was named. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the participants, and not necessarily those of the American College of Surgeons. Enjoy the program.
1: My lecture is entitled, as you've heard, Franklin Martin from Rural Boyhood to Distinguished Surgeon. Today, I will be discussing Dr. Martin's youth and how it impacted his extremely successful and productive career. Dr. Martin had many significant accomplishments. One of his early accomplishments in 1905 at age 48 was the founding of the journal Surgery Gynecology and Obstetrics now the Journal of the American College of Surgeons. At that time almost all medical journals were commercially financed. Martin was dismayed that these journals were poorly edited and practicing surgeons were rarely involved in their management. He was determined to change that. Martin developed and arranged for the publication of SGNO in 1 year. Once Martin had perceived of a need, he researched that issue and developed a plan to address that need expeditiously. Five years later, in November 1910, at 53, Martin established the Clinical Congress of Surgeons of North America in Chicago. He developed the concept for the Congress almost entirely on his own. The Congress was two weeks in length and had both operative clinics and presentations. He expected 200 surgeons, but 1,300 attended. Martin felt that dedicated young surgeons would profit from visits to the clinics of esteemed surgeons. That Congress became the model for the ACS, Clinical Congress. He founded our American College of Surgeons in 1913 at age 56. He envisioned an organization of surgeons with definite qualifications for membership. He believed there should be a minimum standard which any physician performing operations independently should possess. To understand Dr. Martin, you need to appreciate his background. He was born to Josephine Carlin Martin and Edmund Martin on July 13, 1857 in Exonia, Wisconsin, in the family's two-room home. Both sets of Martin's grandparents migrated to Wisconsin in the late 1840s. William and Caroline Martin left Ontario, Canada in June 1847 with nine children. Their goal was Wisconsin with its wide rivers and many lakes. They bought a hundred acre tract of land on the Rock River in Exonia. Alexander and Ella Carlin left Pennsylvania in June 1849 with six children. Their goal was also Wisconsin and they bought land next to the Martins. I feel a kinship with the Martins because in 1868, 20 years after his grandparents settled in Wisconsin, my great-great-grandparents homesteaded in Addison, Iowa. That farm is still in my family 155 years later. Martin characterized his family as follows. They were sound stock, honest, patriotic, law-abiding citizens, and well-educated in the basics. High praise for a frontier family. Martin further described the Martins and Carlins as the kind of people who formed the backbone of our country. Offspring offspring were not hampered by tradition. Their opportunities were boundless. They went forth with sound bodies, strength developed in the working of the soil, and theirs was the world to conquer if they possessed average intelligence, ambition, and industry. In 1862, when Franklin was five, His father joined the Union Army and served in the Civil War. Franklin, his mother, and his sister were helped by family and friends in his father's absence. Regrettably, Franklin's father died in October 1862 of disease at Cassville, Missouri. After his father died, his family lived on a meager income that included a small pension from his father's army service. His mother managed their finances well, and Martin felt he did not suffer because of their minimal income. Franklin said he grew up foraging, that he ate anything raw or ripe, including dirt. Later in life, he believed that because of foraging, he had an immunity that his colleagues didn't have. Modern research has to some extent demonstrated this to be true. Franklin described his childhood as a happy one. In the summer of 1866, Franklin worked on his grandfather Carlin's farm. Although he was only nine, he guided a horse-drawn corn cultivator and bundled wheat, the worst job because it resulted in cuts of the hands and face. In his words, it was hard, hot, exhausting work, but he wanted to succeed and please his grandfather. He felt the experience taught him responsibility. At the end of the summer, Franklin bargained with Grandfather Carlin about his pay for his summer's work. He wanted some cash to help his mother. In addition, he asked for a ewe to be kept on the farm along with any offspring. He ended up with nine sheep, which upset Grandfather Carlin, who felt he had been taken advantage of by his nine-year-old grandson. Even at nine, Franklin was an astute bargainer. Looking back on his experiences working on his grandfather's farm, Franklin said that by age 10, he had learned to assume responsibility, to transect financial deals, industriously busy himself, and make every working task a gain. Many people who have grown up on family farms, like my cousins on both sides of my family, also expressed the belief that farm work taught them responsibility and discipline and instilled in them self-confidence. Other prominent surgeons who also believed that they benefited from a rural upbringing were Robert Zollinger, George Kreil, Albert Oshner, Nicholas Sen, Warren Cole, Owen Wagenstein, Charles and William Mayo, and John Murphy. In 1867, Franklin's mother married his uncle, Elon Munger, who was also a widower, and the family moved to Milwaukee, where Elon had found better employment. As described by Martin, Elon was a master carpenter, an avid reader, and a good stepfather. After living in Milwaukee for two years, Franklin's family moved to Oconomowoc, Wisconsin, near Exonia. Elon taught Franklin to be an amateur carpenter and mason, skills that he used often in his early years. Franklin said "If this time in his life, family life was imbued by wholesome living, daily tasks, and unostentatious belief in common honesty and filial love. From ages 6 to 15, Franklin attended public schools in Exonia, Milwaukee, and Economorock. Initially, he was not a serious student and was known for his mischief in class. He became a more serious student while attending school in Milwaukee. In his words, school was revealed as something serious and worthwhile in 1873 franklin's family moved to excuse me western wisconsin because of this move franklin entered the elroy seminary in elroy wisconsin at age 16. he found the school to have an academic stimulating atmosphere that encouraged ambition and serious study for the first time franklin became a dedicated student with a hunger for knowledge. He wanted to become a teacher. In 1875, at 18, Franklin spent the summer working in his Uncle George Fulmer's brickyard, along with the hired helper and his cousins, Richard, Thomas, and Washington Fulmer. Brickmaking was an eight-step process, and all steps were strenuous and demanding to perform. Franklin was not in good physical shape and was inexperienced at the tasks involved in brickmaking. Frequently, he became exhausted and unable to work and had to be sent back to the house to recover. After two weeks, he adapted and became a valued member of the team. In the end, it became an enjoyable and rewarding place to work. Here's Martin's view later in life on the benefits of hard work. Many times in my life, when my strength has been tried to the breaking point, I have obtained sustaining power by reminiscing on those first days in the brickyard and the harvest field when I was fatigued to the limit of endurance and had no reserve force. In his mind, hard work when young had a positive impact on his ability to perform under pressure later in life. In the summer of 1876, Franklin had a job working on the Russell farm in Concord, Wisconsin. While binding oats, he stopped to rest at the end of the row and saw, driving leisurely along the road in the shade, dressed in white linen, Dr. Daniel McLaren Miller, the city's most respected family physician. Franklin felt joy and envy. He thought, yes, I'll be a doctor. Why didn't I think of that before? He promptly made plans uh, to attend medical school in Chicago. First, he needed to complete an apprenticeship with a local physician to obtain credentials from the Wisconsin State Medical Society to attend medical school. He therefore made arrangements to spend the winter in Watertown, Wisconsin, studying under Dr. William Spaulding. Dr. Spaulding was well-read in medicine and had a keen mind. He instructed Franklin to read selected chapters in Wilson's anatomy, after which he quizzed him. Franklin answered Spaulding quest- Spaulding's questions in great detail. Spaulding was amazed. Spalding that had Franklin read parts of Gray's Anatomy and he answered questions about that text equally as well. Franklin needed to earn money to attend medical school. He worked on the Fulmer farm and in the brickyard. He obtained a $25 loan from his grandmother Caroline Martin. As required, he obtained Dr. Nicholas Sen's signature on his credentials. Dr. Sen, of course, became a highly respected Chicago surgeon. With these requirements completed, Franklin left for Chicago in 1877 at age 20. Franklin attended Chicago Medical College, which later became Northwestern University Medical School. It had a three-year curriculum. Martin and his roommate, who was also from Wisconsin, studied hard and performed well. They believed that their background and their work ethic gave them the capacity to succeed despite their lack of an undergraduate education. Ultimately, Martin and his roommate passed their final examinations, graduated, and received their MD degrees in 1880. From 1880 to 1881, Martin did an internship at Mercy Hospital in Chicago. Although an internship was not required to practice medicine at that time, Martin believed he would benefit from the experience. During his internship, there was both a typhoid fever and a smallpox epidemic in the city. Both overwhelmed the Chicago healthcare system and led to tremendous suffering and death. The experience had a significant impact on Martin. In 1881, at 24, Martin began practicing medicine in Chicago. For 35 years, from 1881 to 1916, Martin developed a very successful obstetrics and gynecology practice. He became known for the quality of his patient care and his operative technique. He was very thoughtful in his approach to patients. He followed the medical literature closely and attended local, regional, and national meetings to keep current uh, uh, with the changes in the practice of medicine. He always had a plan for the care of his patients, just like the approach he learned working in the fields and the brickyard. An example of his thoughtful nature was his response to observing Dr. Edward Jenks perform an operation using Sir Joseph Lister's antisepsis protocol. At that time, when a majority of operative wounds became infected, Jenks' patient did not develop a postoperative wound infection. Martin was impressed. He applied a modification of Lister's skin preparation protocol to obstetrical patients during labor. Before examining patients, he dipped his hands in carbolic acid and prepped the patient's perineum with the same solution. This resulted in a marked decrease in puerperal or childbed fever. With this experience, he became a strong supporter and champion of Lister's antisepsis protocols. In 1986, after a long courtship, Franklin married Isabel Hollister, who was from a prominent Chicago family. Isabel had a liberal arts education that Franklin lacked, and their marriage changed his life for the better. She insisted he lead a balanced life. In his words, it was the education of the Wisconsin boy under a most discriminating tutor. Their activities together included Cubs baseball games, golf, the Chicago Symphony, reading aloud to each other, vacations, and much more. I have to say I liked Martin without qualification until I found out he was a Cubs fan. Martin's most significant accomplishment prior to founding the American College of Surgeons was his creation with Dr. Franklin Coleman of the Postgraduate Medical School of Chicago in 1889. This school was designed to teach physicians clinical medicine. This was important because of a lack of clinical teaching in medical schools at that time and the fact that there were few internships. The school opened in eight months again demonstrating Martin's incredible organizational and administrative skills. The school was extremely successful and went through two major expansions in the next decade and was in operation for over 20 years. In October 1916, President Woodrow Wilson appointed Martin to represent medicine on the advisory commission of the Council of National Defense. The commission was formed to assist the U.S in its preparation for entry into World War I, which occurred on April 6, 1917. Because Martin was a disciplined, highly organized, decisive leader, and an accomplished administrator, he was an excellent choice to represent the medical aspects of preparation for the war. Other appointees represented railroading, engineering, finance, business, and labor. Martin's suitability for inclusion on the advisory commission was demonstrated by his many accomplishments on the Commission. He established the concept of base hospitals where individual military hospitals were staffed by medical personnel from a single US hospital to avoid the discord that might occur if the staff came from multiple hospitals. Interestingly, of the 30,000 medical officers that would be needed for an army of five million men, only 500 were on active duty prior to the war. With the support of medical school deans, Martin developed a curriculum that trained senior medical students to become army medical officers and made 4,000 students potentially available to serve in World War I. Because price fixing can have an impact on the availability of foods and raw materials during wartime, Martin designed a plan where an administrative board would control the price and conservation of both food and raw materials. Martin also designed a program to control alcohol consumption and exposure to venereal disease by medical personnel. Prior to 1916, the incidence of venereal diseases in armies during wartime had been as high as 25% at a time when there was minimal effective treatment and when these diseases could result in prolonged misery and even death. In the past, the armies of many countries had been made ineffective by the number of soldiers disabled by these diseases. With Martin's program, less than 1% of American military personnel developed venereal diseases. General John Pershing, commander-in-chief of American Expeditionary Forces in Europe, totally supported Martin's program and made it even more restrictive. Lastly, prior to the US entrance into the war, Martin arranged for 1,000 American doctors to be sent to Great Britain to help care for both civilians and the military. As happened occasionally with Martin, when he felt a plan was absolutely justified, he forgot to seek the approval of the Secretary of War before agreeing to send the doctors. He was severely scolded for that. Martin began his career as an American College of Surgeon Administrator in 1913, when the ACS was founded. From 1913 to 1917, Martin was the part-time general secretary of the ACS. During this time, he continued the practice of medicine and received no salary from the ACS. From 1917 to 1922, he was the full-time secretary general of the ACS and was paid a full salary. Regrettably, he shared the chief executive officer position with another man, and that did not go well. So in 1922, he became the director general and the sole CEO until his death in 1935. Also from 1928 to 1929, he was the 12th president of the ACS. During the Martin era at the American College of Surgeons, the American Medical Association wanted to be the sole representative for American medicine. But of course, Martin wanted the ACS to represent surgeons and he succeeded in that goal. Without Martin's leadership and resolve, the ACS would not be the strong, robust organization it is today. There is another accomplishment of Martin's that I'd like to mention, the creation of the hospital standardization program by the ACS in 1917. Briefly, this program was initiated because many surgeons practice in hospitals with inadequate facilities and unacceptable patient records. This made it difficult for surgeons to demonstrate the quality of their patient care which was necessary to qualify for ACS membership. A set of minimum standards for hospitals was established by the ACS and hospitals were surveyed to assess their compliance. In 1918, only 13% of hospitals with 100 or more beds that were surveyed were approved. By the early 1930s, of the more than 1,500 hospitals surveyed, 94% were approved. The ACS managed and funded this program for 35 years. When the ACS could no longer afford to fund the program, the Joint Commission on Accreditation of Hospitals, Jaco, was created in 1952. After a 19-year absence in 1899 at 42, Martin made his first of many trips back to Wisconsin to visit family and friends. To reiterate, at age nine, Martin always had jobs requiring physical labor, discipline, and organizational skills. This experience was character-building, improved his self-confidence, and helped develop his leadership skills. As a result, later in life, he had the ability to follow his vision when others might waver. When he identified a need, he was resolute in advocating for a solution. As you have heard many times, he was an astute organizer, and had the discipline to maintain his focus until a solution to a problem was delineated and implemented. Franklin Martin became a great leader, not in spite of his rural upbringing in Wisconsin, but because of it. His leadership and organizational abilities and his untiring energy were developed early in life. The ACS benefited tremendously from all of his qualities. He demonstrated how important it is to have people from diverse backgrounds in any organization. We all have unique abilities that an organization like the ACS can benefit from. Listed here are the many people from the American College of Surgeons staff who I want to thank, but I must single out Tina Wilkie from the Division of Integrated Communications, who is the editor for my book on Dr. Martin. She helped convert my ramblings into understandable prose. Thank you for your attention.
0: Thank you for joining us on the House of Surgery podcast, brought to you by the American College of Surgeons. If you like this podcast, please rate it five stars and let your friends and colleagues know about the podcast. On social media, use the hashtag #HouseOfSurgery. You can learn more about the American College of Surgeons, its members, programs, products, and services at facs.org.